You're listening to Gamer Podcast. I'm Eric from the Gamer.com editing team. And this week, I'm joined by George Foster and Meg Policcio to talk about the biggest news story of the week. After that, we're joined by Jade King for our Guardians of the Galaxy talk. And finally, an interview with Daryl Purdy, the cinematic director of Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's go. Welcome to the show. Here with two pro gamers. Tell me your Xbox game score, George Foster. Gamer score. Oh, it's got to be. Score. It's got to be two million, at least over two million. Two million. Yeah. Meg Do you Pelicchio. actually want my actual one? Yeah, tell us. It's four hundred and fifteen thousand. Jesus Christ! Wow. I think my I think mine's two hundred thousand. To be realistic. I don't do it so much anymore, but I, I used to achievement hunt to the extreme. I played all those crap games. Oh, now if you're asking my PlayStation trophy <laughs> level, that's a different story. That's like 38. And that's, you know, yeah, that's mine's impressive. weak. My, my trophy level's weak. <laughs> I don't have an Xbox. Let's talk about the news <laughs> of the week. Uh, we've got a uh, lot of stories to get through. We didn't have a regular episode last week. Instead, we had our interview with Jordan Thomas to talk about the end of the Blackout Club. Uh, so check that out if you missed it. But that means we've got uh, a lot of news to cover. First thing I wanted to talk about was actually just from yesterday, Square Enix, Crystal Dynamics uh, announced via Twitter that Avengers is going to be removing the paid XP boosters. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when they added the XP boosters, something they promised they would never do uh, when they revealed the game. No pay-to-win mechanics, and yet we got the XP boosters. Uh, they went dark on us after the fans got very upset. It's interesting. More people got upset about uh, the XP boosters than there are people playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> that's Marvel's Avengers all over though isn't it <laughs> yeah so uh, but they put out an apology uh, I have some thoughts about the way it was written but oh, me too yeah I mean obviously it's a good thing to say we messed up we're going to uh, be true to our word so it's good that they doubled back however well George what do you think what did, what did, you, what did you think of that uh, statement it was the way there was one specific bit of it. It was like, oh, we're trying to, you know, we'll help you rebuild the trust in our team or something like that. And I was just like, they didn't need to do this in the first place. Like the fact that they've already gone and swapped around for a game that has a really, really small fan base and community and doesn't need to have any like things like that happen to it to make it even smaller. Like the goodwill is just gone, um, which seems really stupid. Oh, yeah. Uh, like I feel like I'm being a man baby chucking my toys out the pram over XP boosters in a game that no one plays, but <laughs> it's just another another nail in the coffin. Yeah, it is. I I'm compelled to nitpick when mm. companies make apologies because um like a company can't be sorry, you know? Yeah. Like like a person can write an apology, but like the game Avengers or Crystal Dynamics can't be sorry. Like yeah. it doesn't have feelings. So it's interesting to me when they say like, uh, it, it, it's one of those apologies where they're like, we didn't think we did anything wrong, but yeah. we know you guys are mad. Yeah. You know, that's exactly like, the wording. 
well, they're like, well, we didn't think it was pay to win because you can't <laughs> just buy power directly. Yeah. It's like indirect purchase of power. So we didn't think there was anything wrong with it. But now we see how mad you are. So it wasn't. Yeah, it was like they still didn't want to like own that they did what they said they weren't going to do. Mm. But irregardless, um, dead game. No, that's <laughs> it was just a desperate cash grab, though, wasn't it? Like everyone knew that's what it was. And then the apology is a non-apology where they're like not apologizing for backtracking and lying and doing it anyway. They're just apologizing yeah. for not responding about it sooner. Yeah. That's made it worse as well. The fact that there was this silence, it was like, just, just get it together. I, I'm just so sick of hearing about this game. I was so excited before, and now I just I every time I hear it, I'm like, how could you do? How can you make it worse? How are you making it worse? There was a um, financial statement, sort of one of those earners calls mm. for Square uh, last night or this morning. Oh, I did see this. Yeah, and. Um, and they told their shareholders that Avengers was a big disappointment for them, but that they're <laughs> committed to the live service model, you know, in the future because it's important to the industry. And but like, but admitted basically like this one didn't really work out. Yeah, that's uh, it does. And I don't know if what that I don't know if that is a tell that like we're looking at the end of uh, of Avengers. We know Spider Man is coming, but we don't have a roadmap beyond that. We don't mm. know. You know, this game was meant to go on forever, right? Just like every live service game. We were meant to keep getting characters and um but maybe maybe we're winding down now. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. I, I think it's what needs to happen. Um I think another big Marvel game release this month proved, you know, what True. what can be done and what should be done, and it turned out really well. And then you look at Marvel's Avengers and it has a lot of the right ingredients, like the combat's good, the campaign's good but it has all of that live service stuff, the biggest part of it, dragging it down. Uh, so I wouldn't and, be surprised if they looked at Guardians of the Galaxy, which I was referring to, and go, ah, yeah, we messed up. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, honestly, I don't I don't think that uh, Avengers being a live service game is in, inherently flawed. It's just not a good live service game. Mm. Yeah, that's true. You like your live service. I'm not really a I do. big fan of it. I, I, I just don't have the energy for it, so I guess I've always been a bit cynical, but hearing from you that it's not even a good one (laughs) it's a hard thing to get right like live service games like they either do amazingly well or they die there doesn't seem to be a middle ground yeah uh there there is a middle ground but it's like those mmos that um that have like dedicated player bases that you never think about like lord of the rings online just had an expansion is that still going? What? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when you say that, everybody's like, what? Like Star Trek Online, still a popular oh, game. That's you weird. Know, there's a there's a lot of MMOs out there that are like going strong that like, you know, nobody's talking about. That's you know, just not, not all of them can be Final Fantasy Fourteen and Destiny. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, moving on. Let's talk about uh our our sweet boy Sakurai yes. and his his statement that Perchance, he's not done with the Smash Brothers. Um, we all have a uh, weird, unhealthy relationship with Sakurai as a as a man, and we're all like really worried about him. Like, <laughs> it's not it's not really healthy for us to like constantly be thinking about his workload and stress, and 
how much time he's investing as a developer. Mm. But at the same time, he's he kind of does it to us by talking about how tired he is and talking yeah. about retiring. He he said that he tried to pass Smash to uh, another you know leader and that it didn't go well. That's like, worrying, isn't it? Do you reckon he did that for Ultimate? Like, I reckon he did that for Ultimate. I don't know. I don't know what that could be. It could be. It could just be a game mode. Yeah. Like he, like giving someone. Else. But like, yeah. Obviously, he's a workaholic, and obviously, he has a tremendous amount of ownership for the Smash franchise. But at a certain point, you gotta retire, mm. Sakurai. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't make and that. I mean, I. My my dad's like this. Like some people, when they get older, they refuse to stop working because, well, they're they're workaholics. They can't stop. Yeah. What are they going to do if they stop? What's he going to do? Read books? Like my dad's like that. He's convinced that if he retires, then he'll become the typical old man. Like he thinks he manages to like stay fit and healthy by working, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. working every hour of the day, and he thinks that he'll like you know turn into like stereotypical old man if he stops working. That's so unhealthy. <laughs> it's a, it's a legitimate <laughs> so theory. You know, people spend their spend more of their lives working than anything else. You know, you spend mm-hmm. 40, 50 years at your job. You can't imagine what life will be like without it. He hasn't been making Smash for fifty years, but I'm sure it feels like that. <laughs> I, no, I think know. Re- retirement would be boring. I I'm I'm of the opinion the. I I would love for there to be more Smash games, but where do you go from Ultimate? Like oh, it's sure. literally yeah. the ultimate. Like I I I can't see another Smash game unless it's like what Ultimate does, where it brings everything over. And then at that point, why not just carry on with Ultimate? You know, like I I really do think it could be an okay stopping point. I I don't see anyone who would be too mad about that. Um, They're not gonna stop. I Make wish they would. Money. Yeah, but yeah, I, I just, I again, it's this, it's this like worry that oh god, Sakurai's working himself to death. Like that's, you know, he's he's choosing yeah, to work. Other, he wants to work. Other people can helm like the project. Obviously, you know, just because if he were to leave, it doesn't mean it's the end of the series. And you know, we sit here now and we're like, oh, it's the best it can be. But then we all sat there and did that with PS One games and stuff. And you look back, and you're like, oh god, they're really not attractive now. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, Smash yeah. is different, though. I I think is we it? have to admit that Smash, yeah, for I, of in like course it five, is. Five, ten years, whenever, whenever there's another Smash game and it looks like sublime, I'm gonna be like, remember when you said it was as good as it could be? Well, the, the thing, Look the at thing the is, denim on Mario's like outfit now. <laughs> the thing is, Smash it's less about like graphics, in my opinion. I wouldn't really care about how it looks. It's more content wise and i it's don't see how they could have any more like it is just such a massive massive game with like it has extended the format of a platform fighter as far as you can possibly go yeah i can't even think of characters i'd want like if you're if you're not being ridiculous and saying all the third party characters in the world like there's only a there's like maybe five or six nintendo characters i think should be in it somewhere like somewhere waluigi is crying waluigi that's the other one thank you meg yeah okay so two <laughs> i can think of two legitimately like missing characters that need to be in yeah. it and then what you know that's what they'll do they'll release smash ultimate waluigi edition <laughs> for the switch yeah. pro yeah i yeah i, I a 4k smash uh, update it, you know that that's it's coming. going to be more than just a port vr yeah. smash that's what we want 
<laughs> punch in the air and stuff, and, like kicking. That's the future. <laughs> if they do port Smash Ultimate forward to whatever the next Switch is, it's it's going to have new features, maybe even new characters. Like it's going to be a lot more than just a port. But for a true new Smash game, I don't know. I have to imagine that it's got to be a different genre. It's got to be a different kind of fighting game. I don't yeah. know how you. I really can't imagine how you do Smash again. A complete. I I love the idea. I've heard this floating around a few times where they cut back the roster so much. Like they're literally like, right, okay, Smash Ultimate is the last of. 100 plus characters of them and it was and now we're going back to 25 but they completely changed their moveset so mario doesn't have like his you know punching up as his recovery like they completely change it around update it for all whatever new games out i like that idea uh yeah I don't know whether people would be happy with that i know yeah no they won't think about like when they re-released pokemon games and that you know when they did let's go and so you only had the original pokemon people like yeah this is great That's this true. novelty of back to basics and then it isn't long before they're like oh no i want all the other pokemon in it now yeah you so, are right. that's a good yeah, example for nintendo last. as well <laughs> yeah. that's why i say just leave it i you know ultimate is perfect it is besides the online which is okay, yeah. Maybe the online needs an update. It's but... not, it'll it'll it's just not be called Smash Online. Waluigi. <laughs> ah, he's a he's a meme. Yeah, whatever. Sora deserved it. <laughs> uh, okay, George, tell me about the Prince of Persia update. Uh, there was none. The update was that <laughs> this is an update. Uh, so essentially, they randomly released a statement on Twitter, the Prince of Persia account, saying, "Oh, just for everyone asking, like we're fine. The game's making good progress." Uh, We'll update you in due time. So it was like, it even had like the banner, you know, when they do a banner, like the Twitter sort of background thing where it's like, it says the name in the top left and you expect like a statement and you're like, oh, maybe it's going to say been delayed. It just said, you know, this is uh, still in development, which I guess, <laughs> I, I guess they needed to tell us because it's been so long. Uh, mm. And then I think it was two days later, it was quietly delayed into fiscal year 2023 by ubisoft mm. so i think that that statement was essentially them coming out and saying like oh don't worry like it's fine it is still being made it does the opposite for me it doesn't reassure me like you know the <laughs> whole like pro protesting too much like no no we're fine we're fine honestly we're fine yeah it yeah. does the opposite it doesn't reassure me it makes you think right that that's in shit then that project like yeah <laughs> i like to wait eventually oh yeah i'm not saying it's gonna be rubbish i just mean you know them making a like an announcement that isn't really anything to be like no we, we promise it's on track yeah. like it's like mm, no I, I remember <laughs> when it when the first trailer came out it maybe it's just because i really have wanted prince persia back for so long like i i didn't mind how it looked and i was like pretty happy with just the project sort of being like a small scale thing just bringing prince persia sort of back into the limelight a little bit but so many people complained said this looks worse there's like two of the same character model in this one shot, uh, I think now they've gone, oh, crap, we've got to put some money into this. So I don't think we're going to see it for a bit. Uh, What's happening? What? There's got to be a good story. Why is that one stuck in development now? Yeah. Well, uh, that wasn't the only one that got delayed. I think Division Heartlands, that got delayed as well. You know, that sort of free-to-play one. Sure. I guess there's a lot of... Ubisoft projects that are really up in the air. I mean, it's like Skull Beyond and Bones even exist. Yeah, does Beyond Good and Evil even exist? Like, where's Rayman? Got... Where's Rayman? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
There are so many games that I wanted that like never surfaced. The only yeah. reason I bought a PS4 was for that Wilds game that's I believe oh, yeah. officially canned now. Yeah, but that was canned. Only recently. <laughs> uh, I wanted that game. I also I wanted Skull and Bones. A... So. Yeah, that that seemed like a really cool idea. I wasn't into it at all. I've got to be honest. I, you know. I was iffy about it because originally, if I remember rightly, originally it was releasing a lot closer to Sea of Thieves. So I think that kind of came out and maybe they looked at it and thought, oh, we should reevaluate what we're doing. Yeah, you might be right, actually. Um, yeah. I remember they said very specifically, like, it is just boats. Like, it is not, you don't get off and go and do other stuff like you would Assassin's Creed. Yeah, uh, and instantly that lost my attention. If I can't jump off the boat and on someone else's boat, not my thing. <laughs> can't board someone else and you know make them walk the plank well where's the fun <laughs> where's the pirate in it yeah prince of persia is an interesting one to me because it seems so foundational to that generation of three action platformers the mm. the wall running and the ledge grabbing and all of the stuff that made its way into uncharted and got a war and like it feels like it all started with prince of persia and now that stuff is totally outdated yeah like that generation is long gone so i uh, you know we'll i'll enjoy a prince of persia as a nostalgia experience and also that franchise got totally ran into the ground there's like six of those games just like year after year yeah you know how really many weird. how many were good though <laughs> The first uh, three, I think. Well, yeah. the first two, at least. No, it, it was... I, I say no as if it's not an opinion. <laughs> I think generally <laughs> no, it was considered... I, I did used to be like quite a big Prince of Persia head, which is a weird thing to be, because there is literally like four or five games. But the first one was really liked. The second one was the super edgy one. The third yeah. one was the one where you could turn into the Dark Prince. That was kind of liked. And then after that, they rebooted it with that like cel-shaded one that right. everyone hated because it was different and then when you played it, it was like no this is actually really really good um and they and did then... three of those right no they did they did a dlc like epilogue and then it faded into obscurity forever that's that's the last that. one yeah i think there's been four prince of persia games to my knowledge and that was that was back when different platforms would get totally different games like the ds warrior within was oh a yeah different game than yeah Oh, I remember that. That was awful. <laughs> and then there was a movie. Oh, God. Yeah. I remember the movie. <laughs> I think I remember that more than the games. With, um, Apparently it's Jake okay. Gyllenhaal, right? It's, 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 yeah. not, it's not like it's horrendously bad. Right? Yeah, yeah, as far as like video games to films go. I mean, there's not a high standard there anyway, is there? <laughs> I, just, I just remember the scene oh. where he like rewinds time for the first Rewinds time for the first time. Yeah, that works. <laughs> but I remember that scene, and the rest of it is just a sort of like a blur. But that was so long. Oh no, I am forgetting a Prince Persia game. They after they did the 2008 one, they did one called uh, Oh my god, what was it called? It was it was a newer one that came out after the film, alongside the film, but not related to the film. Right, Forgotten Sands. Forgotten Sands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That one. Oh, I forgot the Forgotten Sands. Fantastic. Ironic. <laughs> I remember that. I think that's the game I remember the most, to be fair. That one was really good. I do rem well, I forgot yeah. it, so maybe it wasn't that good, but I remember liking it at the time. Uh, okay. Somebody explain to me why Roblox was offline for like three days. Oh, God. This oh, someone just explained Roblox to me. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so, Roblox. Uh, I was was gonna, it like... Chipotle? 
It, Did Chipotle do this? No, Chipotle didn't do this. Right, okay. So Roblox randomly went down, I think it was last week, Friday, maybe Saturday. So it went mm-hmm. down. No one was sure why. Uh, but at the same time that weekend, there was supposed to be this Chipotle burritos, happy Halloween sort of thing. So you could go there. Oh. Enough. It was like a promotional thing. But if you go on to Roblox at that time, go to the virtual restaurant, you can win like real life burritos. So you get a voucher or something. Um, and you can imagine that quite a few people would have logged on for that, right? So I think the idea went around that so many people had logged on for the Chipotle thing, which is stupid. A stupid idea that that could take down a whole like game. Um, but yeah. people believed that because so many people would have logged on, the traffic would have caused the whole thing to break down. So they started blaming Chipotle. Uh, it wasn't Chipotle. It was some internal server error. Like it's, it's a lot more boring than it sounds. Like when you hear, ah, oh, Chipotle's behind it. This is a great story. Uh, then it's like, no, people are just dumb. <laughs> it must have been something major. Oh, yeah. Take- the game offline for that long yeah it was totaled yeah, for three days because it obviously wasn't a quick fix because obviously something like that they're going to want to get get it back online as quickly mm. as possible the fact it still took days and they would have known immediately when it went down it must have been pretty serious like that it yeah. took days yeah. to fix it but we'll never know like, well i mean they've promised a post-mortem Oh, which is a weird thing to... Well, yeah, a yeah. really weird phrase to use, <laughs> yeah. I think. Like, is yeah. that not what I don't know? I, I remember normal. reading that and being like, oh, oh. Oh, uh, it sounds really it dark for like, this kid's game. Of, yeah, it just makes me think of dead people. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll find out. But, you okay. know, part it, it could maybe it could be Chipotle. Maybe they just, like, contractually <laughs> cannot blame it on Chipotle. Uh, it's, it's more it's more interesting you, than the story just being that it went off. Are a conspiracy off. theory for Roblox and Chip- Chipotle? Like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it. I'm just, you know... They I'm, say I'm... it was servers, but really it was Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a devil's advocate, as I, as I enjoy being. I never know what to say about Roblox, and I always feel weird talking about it because it's like... It's bigger than Fortnite. It's like the biggest game in, at least in the West. Mm. And we never talk about it. I don't know anything about it. I've never played it. And I'm never going to. You've never played it? Ah, Roblox is kind of fun. I, I've never played it either. I, I guess I am the, the youngest by far here. Uh, so yeah. when I was growing up, it was kind of a thing. And I remember they used to have these things you'd go in and they'd, people would make levels like, oh, experience what it's like to be in a hurricane, and you just go onto this map, and then eventually it'd start, like, swirling around, and then me as, like, a seven-year-old's like, oh my god, this is amazing. Uh, I don't know how far it's Wasn't evolved it, since then. Was it that bit. amazing? This weird, it was, blocky it was hurricane, fun, you know? Like, they had obstacle courses, you know, loads of stuff. I, I don't think I'd play it now, because it's pointless. Should but... we do Roblox for next uh, game night? I am keen. No. <laughs> but... uh, Alright. Let's talk about multiverses. Is this actually the name? Yes. Well, it's if it's real, then that's the name. Uh, and uh-huh. it's real. Come on, let's let's you know, let's stop kidding now. Enough has leaked. There's no no one goes to this much detail. So many leaks. Yeah. Okay. So I have some questions. This this is Warner Bros. Multiverse platform fighter. Mm. Warner Bros. is making a Smash Bros. But this is this Ed Boon's game that he's been hinting no. about? So no. when it was first leaked, they got it right that it existed. But then I think Jeff Grubb came out and said, don't be ridiculous. This is not what NeverRealm's working on. This is like a like a Brawlhalla style 
yeah. cheaper, maybe even free to play. And game. it's gonna be free to play, maybe. Okay. Yeah. And then we somebody leaked a roster of at least yes. like twelve characters. Yeah. And it was like it was like Batman, a bunch of Cartoon Network characters. Yes. Is this uh, the one with that weird like green bear with yeah. antlers? Like... Yeah, the, the some the kind OC. of original character, yeah. <laughs> Ultra Instinct Shaggy. Yes. Steven Universe. Steven Universe. Yeah. So instead of just making like a Cartoon Network brawler, like how we just got a Nick Nick All Stars, this mm. is going to be all Warner Brothers stuff. So I guess we could assume maybe Harry Potter's gonna be in there. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, see, this is the weird thing. So uh, the most recent leak is that this design document leaked, which showed off like actual gameplay screens for the first time, uh, uh, which at that point I'd gone from maybe this is an elaborate fake to no, this is totally real. This is happening. Now I'm excited. Um, and the person who posted that did like a bunch of details and they said, Eric, you'll be happy about this. Uh, voice God. acting is confirmed if this Thank is real. God. Uh, and that every alternate costume is like an actual costume it's not just like a color swap so they will have different ones and their voice will change because it might change their character so jake right. the dog might become uh, i think it's cake the cat from adventure time stuff like that and rick becomes pickle That'd rick be cool. yeah oh, like rick I, and Morty. yeah the more i hear about it the more i'm like <laughs> this is dope i'm into it it's not yeah but, it sounds well, really fun can we just remember that one of the characters was gandalf yeah. right all right so this but, old man isn't going to be like punching and kicking is he no, he's yeah, magic, he's isn't he? swinging his cap around. <laughs> you won't, you will not pass. Whatever. He's this not, is it. It's not going to be that moment from Star Wars where the like Yoda stops hobbling and starts whizzing around <laughs> with his lightsaber. <laughs> he's still an old man. This is this is what I find see. weird. Like, there's been way more pushback against this multiversus as an idea than there's ever been for Smash than there's ever been for Nick Brawl. Like, I've never seen so many people go, oh, Shaggy in a fighting game? I draw the limit. This is stupid. As if, like, <laughs> you know, as if uh, Nigel Formby well, was have, normal. You have to have, like, a willing suspension of disbelief, right? So, you know, Batman could just, like, I don't know, throw a batarang, boom, hit Gandalf in the head. He's gone. But then, like, you have Smash. <laughs> you have Smash where you have, like, you know, you have a, a dinosaur, Yoshi. You just have a dinosaur versus. Sephiroth, like I, I don't know, I don't know where people have suddenly turned around, and gone. Actually, platform fighters are a bit too stupid to be you know, to be believable. Yeah, but as if that was ever all the point. of those like have physical moves, don't they? I think for me, it's like when you have characters like if Harry Potter were in it again. I don't know what age he would be in it, but he's not going to be some twelve-year-old like I don't know, flailing his arms around, is he? Yeah, I, I guess Nick. So if he just, just kind stood of... there trying to cast spells, I don't know. <laughs> what, what? Lots of people cast spells in Smash. Mewtwo cast spells. Nats. Mega Man's basically all projectiles. But they, like... you can you can like punch and stuff with them as well, though, right? Uh, sure. I, you know, this is it. It's like I think I think the moment I snapped is when. I saw SpongeBob SquarePants as a fighting game character, and like his whole move set actually made a ton of sense. Like SpongeBob has never hit anyone. Okay, I guess it's karate, but he's never like battered <laughs> someone. But his move set was fine, you know. So at that point, I go, no, you know, I'm sure Gandalf, you could you could make a pretty cool move set with that. I'm sure Steve Universe has tons of moves. Like, I mean, I could I could write a book about how many moves Steve Universe. I can't has believe we're debating the believability. Of <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> Ever since it's been announced, it's been like. This is ridiculous. This is too many IPs yeah, smashing together. Ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But like, there is, it is ridiculous because you've got Shaggy and then like what? 
Mad. The, the, one of the other ones is Mad Max. So you've got the <laughs> idea of Shaggy Amazing. going up against Mad Max. I love it. You just think, well, that's not really a fight, is it? Because surely the, Mad Max is going to win. <laughs> the only thing I th- that does make me go, okay, this is kind of weird, um, is that apparently, like, all of it is based on Ultra Instant Shaggy, uh, which one yeah. is a yeah. is a really is a funny meme, but also like. Is very much Ultra Instinct is very much like a Dragon Ball thing. Like, is that something they can just sure. be like, you know, is he going to be doing Goku's moves? Is he, you know, I mean, I presume not. He's not going to be doing Kamehameha's and stuff, but it's just the, 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 the basis of this whole thing is a Dragon Ball meme. Just please, that makes me go a bit weird. Please, this is my message to the universe. Please put Paul Atreides in Warner Brothers Multiverse so that Denis Villeneuve can piss and shit and cry. <laughs> That's all I want. Jesus. I hope Moy's in it. That's all I want. Give me Moy. Uh, I've I've run out of Warner Brothers properties to reference, so I think it's time to move on. <laughs> uh, we heard rumors, rumblings, Amy Ooh. Hennig's on a Marvel game. Actually, wasn't this just announced, or was yes. this just a rumor? This was So announced. it was randomly announced out of nowhere. Um, I think years ago some people said maybe this is like a Marvel thing, just, like, from guessing. Uh, and then she came out and said, like, yeah, it's Marvel. And then now the rumours have started, like, oh, well, I totally knew it was a, it's a Daredevil game all along. So, you know, there's no there's no stock in the rumours yet, but yeah, exciting times. Amy Hennig is a rock star video game writer, probably best known for the Uncharted series, mm. but uh, ever since leaving Naughty Dog, has had a string of bad beats. I can't even count how many projects she has started on and then left or that fell apart. Mm. I know that she was at EA trying to get a star open world star Wars game off the ground. Oh, yeah. that fell apart. Um, just like project after project hasn't come to fruition. So sort of a curse. Um, <laughs> hopefully this one actually happens. Curse Do we know Hennig. anything else about it? Uh, you know, they, they've got, they've given you your buzzwords like, Oh, it's, narrative driven triple a mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know there's no oh um the lead actress from star wars battlefront 2 i forgot i forget her name oh. she is confirmed to star in it i don't know if that's like the main character or one of the main characters but people have instantly gone oh maybe that's Electra and it's a daredevil thing uh oh, which sounds super no. cool i'm down for that like Hmm. You say Electra and daredevil and i can't help but think of those two awful films <laughs> Ben Affleck, Daredevil, let's go. I am slightly irritated that it took this long to start getting Marvel games going. Mm. Like, now they're now we have everything. We have Avengers, Guardian of the Galaxy, Spider-Man, Wolverine, this one. Like, we had a full decade of Marvel being the biggest movie franchise in the world, and it took that long for all, all of these major studios to be like, oh, maybe there's some money to be made with Marvel <laughs> video. Like, I don't know how contracts work. I don't know the behind the scenes of this shit, but it doesn't, it seems absurd that we didn't start. I know that there were like movie tie-in games early on. I know there was like a Iron Man 1 game and a Cap- Let's Captain Let's not remember America. those. Though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that Michael's was in a okay. different, different no, era. No, it wasn't. There was a Oof, Thor fine. too. Um, yeah, but the, that it's taken this long to start getting Marvel games. Seems absurd to me. See, I I go... As soon as I heard this, I was like, 
oh, the magic's kind of gone a bit. Like, okay, another Marvel game. And I sort of felt that after Mars Morales, and I saw like Insomniacs doing Spider Man 2 and Wolverine, and I was like, oh, God, yeah. yeah, I'm cynical. And then I saw the trailer, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. So <laughs> I, I'm just a hypocrite. Like, give me anything. Give me, give me IPs. We all love IPs. Yeah. Well, and we know that they're going to do, we're going to get stuff that we couldn't have ever expected, too. Like, we've got uh, Midnight Suns coming up in just a couple months. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I, in a million years, I couldn't have guessed that Midnight Suns was going to be a game or a, a tactics game for that matter. Okay, um, so you get one pick, one Marvel character. I'm going to ask both of you who is it? Yeah. Who, who's your one dream pick for a game, a good game, all about them? Oh. Eric? Probably just a, um, probably just a blade game. I think, mm, like choice. a God of War style blade game. That would be interesting. To be fair, Meg, I love vampire stuff and gothic horror stuff, and yeah, I think that'd be really see. Cool. Now the problem with my pick would be the the people that come with him. <laughs> so I would love to see Galactus done right. Okay, let's let's ignore what they made him in the film. Like I don't even know what that was. But the problem with that is that you 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 know likely just be making a Fantastic Four game, which I don't want. <laughs> oh fa no, Fantastic Four would be Gal Galactus no, would be no. incredibly yeah, difficult. Would be cool. Maybe like more. I don't know. Get like Silver Surfer, Nova, that kind of side of it. Mm. I don't know. Just I want something like not as mainstream. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I. Daredevil sounds kind of amazing, you know? Like, no. uh, if Wolverine would have been my choice <laughs> beforehand, I would have straight away gone, yeah, Wolverine, do Wolverine again. Uh, okay, then... did you guys play The Veil? No. No. We talked about this on the show a while back. It's an audio, it's a combat action RPG audio game. You have talked about this, yeah. Yeah, and when I interviewed the director of that game, he said he would love to do a Daredevil game, and I thought that was such a cool idea. Yeah. See, I I instantly find it a lot easier to think of DC characters that I'd like to see done right sure. because I think they've yeah, done. Swamp Thing. Yeah, Swamp Thing game. Flash, yeah. you know, come on, Superman. Yeah, two big ones there, Green Lantern, but not Hal Jordan. I think I always think of like the worst thing. Like I think of the the horrible like Green Lantern film. There was that Swamp Thing TV series that I made the mistake of like looking up recently. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like yeah, I just think oh, can it be done well? Yeah, totally. Yeah, like I, th I think we're at the point now like Eric says, we've reached a turning point where it's no longer just you know, movie tie-in. I, I think they they like I think, again, God's Galaxy proves this, that it's not just Insomniac that can do a good Insomniac and Rocksteady that can do good superhero stuff. I think we've reached the point now where anything that's made is going to have a proper time and care put into give, it. Give me like a kind of uh, mix between Devil May Cry and something like more like atmospheric, like Alan Wake style Constantine game. Ooh. That's what I want. Constantine game is. That sick. sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah like that. <laughs> give me a Nightwing. Yeah. Give me a Nightwing game. Give me, oh. <laughs> give me that. I, I love my IP. I love my characters. <laughs> oh my god, the Constantine game is so good. We're gonna have to do an episode about the Constantine video game. Mm. <laughs> uh perfect that's the news we did it that's all the news nothing else mattered <laughs> this week last week uh let's take a break and when we come back 
Uh, Jade King will be here. George, you can stick around. Let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Game of the year? I don't know. Let's find out. And we're back with George and Meg, and now joined by Jade King. Fashionably late. Hello. <laughs> we have all played Guardians of the Galaxy. George and I have finished Guardians of the Galaxy. How far uh, did you get, Jade? I am. Oh god, how far did I get? I am just breaking into. Do you know the the Luffy Church people? Yes. I've just been <laughs> captured by. I don't know. I, I can't remember their names. But I've just been captured by them in their giant ship. Oh, what is their name? That plot Uni- is beginning Universal... to unfold. Church of Truth. Church of Truth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling that some big narrative stuff is about to be teased. I'm not sure how far into the game I actually am, but gotcha. I've been digging it a whole lot, like more than I expected to. It's, uh, boy, it's hard to say, but I we'll get into the story a little bit more in a minute. Meg, uh, how, how far in did you, did you get? I'm about the same, actually. Okay. Okay, oh, that's cool. good. Then. I'm trying okay. to remember what chapter that is. I think seven? it's eight or seven. Yeah, I was I was gonna say seven. I might be wrong. Um, this is by far my biggest surprise of the year. I think I yeah, played it. In, yeah, J- Jade and I both previewed it, and uh, I wasn't super hot on the preview, which was um, it was just I believe chapter five. The Nova where, Core Station, I think. Yeah, where you go to the Nova Core Station and That's find a out. chapter, to be fair. Yeah. It mm. is, compared to the it's rest of the It's one of the shorter ones as well. It's a right. It didn't feel like it. It felt like, a, it felt like a slog, that chapter. Yeah, I, I wouldn't blame you if you played that one to come away like, eh. Um, I I love this game, mm-hmm. to be honest. Like, too. I There are things I don't like about it, but by the time it was over, I was... I, I was practically like clapping and sobbing and yep. <laughs> pissing and shitting over it. <laughs> uh, I think like, the great, <laughs> the great thing about sorry. it is that it's just enjoyable. Like there's so much wrong with it. Like obviously it's very buggy and there are so many things they could have done better in terms of like, um, don't even get me started on the chapter select. But <laughs> it, like, despite all of that, I still like really enjoy it. Like, genuinely enjoy it. It's mm. not like frustrating. I just, just, it's just a nice thing to like pick up and play. Yeah, I agree. And the weird thing about it is, if I like pick apart all the pieces of it, I'm not that hot on it. Like. I don't think the combat's very good. It doesn't really come online until the very end. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're right. There isn't. <laughs> there isn't really anything like overly special about it. Yet somehow, as a whole, it's really right. good. <laughs> like, like the the tone of it is kind of insufferable and like cloying. Like the whole way through, Star Lord is just like, guys, come on, we're supposed to be a team. Like. <laughs> For, for like 25 hours. It's just that is that. exactly it. That is exactly it. Yeah. And it's, but like, oh, and it's so cringe too. Like It's so cringe. Yeah. But I think it does that on purpose though. Like, you know, it's meant to be like cheese, isn't it? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, the, the, my point, it was when Rocket is being a dick for like a whole two chapters. I was, I I was almost, yeah. 
I was almost narrow it down. He's always a dick. So yeah, but specifically, just when you reach nowhere and the chapter before and basically the chapter after, I was like, "This might ruin the game." Like he's being such an insufferable asshole. Like compared to how he's supposed to be, it almost put me off. And then, like like Eric said, you have you have a Star Lord always going, "Come on, guys, now come don't on, do guys. that." Yeah, come on, be nice. Like we're we're heroes. And I was like, "This is not good." And then, literally, the chapter after, I was like, "Oh no, okay." You know, there's a character arc. Oh my god. Okay, and it just gets better. Like it all really comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but one of the things that's really great about it is how deep into Marvel lore it gets. It's so comic booky. Mm. Yeah. Um, there were there were lots of bits where I think I said to like George and Stacey, I was like, "Is this something? This feels like it's something." And then yeah, it, it would be like something from the Marvel universe. I love stuff like that, even if I don't get it, even if yeah. it goes over my head. I I feel like you know like the 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 new Spider Man games have tons of Easter eggs, right? Like you can find the Sanctum Sator- Sanct I don't know how to say it. Sanctum you can find Doctor <laughs> Strange's house. <laughs> yeah, and and there's tons of like hints and the like the enemies are all classic Spider-Man enemies. But what is the story of uh Spider-Man PS4? It's pretty basic. It's like Doc he's Hulk? got this yeah, he's got a mentor. Yeah, he thinks he can trust him and it turns out that he can't. And there's you know, there are beats to the plot, but I it doesn't go to the places that Guardians goes it's just like such a comic booky complex there's so many characters there's so much like magic and sci-fi and like deep lore and like that it just it feels like that story is just like going to so many different places yeah i to to your point it was like um I, i gotta be somewhat careful based on like where you two are but i think yeah let's say this let's let's not do any big spoilers but at the end of the segment we have a couple things that i have to talk about that are like at the end of the game so <laughs> yeah okay like like if you're listening you're good right now i will make a big announcement when i'm gonna say some real spoilery stuff yeah so That's for me now, now i realize it's when you go to nowhere which i think is chapter six um when you're on nowhere you can go into the uh the collector's like museum sort of thing and yeah. you find uh, Richard Ryder's Stanley's helmet. Gla- oh, yeah. I so didn't that's what know Stanley's glasses yeah. is as well, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, so there's like a ton of references in there. But the the difference to me is that it feels like with Spider-Man, it's like all of those Easter eggs are stuff that they're not doing yet. So it's like, ooh, Sandman's in a little jar because we're not doing Sandman yet. But with mm-hmm. Guns of the Galaxy, the difference was it felt like, no, this stuff has happened. Like these characters have been here and they've like come and gone. Maybe you'll see them, maybe you won't. Like it, it feels mm-hmm. like more of a... Not a lived-in universe, because Spider-Man does that well, but it doesn't just feel like a wink and a nod. It feels like, no, this is part of our story. This, you know, this mm-hmm. impact is something. Totally. It feels like and it's, it's... Part of the universe that understands the legacy it comes from. Like, even yeah. just the oh, yeah. bits I've seen. Like, I think there's a moment... I think it's it's back on Nova Corps Station again, where you, you you gain access to the dossiers and you can read through everything. Yes. Like, yes. The, majority of, the majority of those are just, like, supplemental things that provide more substance into mm. the lore in the world like you don't need to read them but they went through the effort to flesh out the world in a way that not many action adventure games like this would bother to right mm. yeah and uh, all of that like world building and background stuff none of it really relies on uh, a, a, a knowledge 
of the fran- like like this we were talking about the Spider-Man Easter eggs and stuff and that stuff is really fun if you know the characters and you know the things it's referencing. Mm. But with with Guardians like even if you've seen the movies, you're not going to know, you know, like the Blood Brothers or like Lady Hellbender or even like Cosmo or like Jack Flag. Jack Flag, yeah. So like but but because it's all central to the plot and the narrative it's it doesn't feel like it's referential Mm. like it's all baked into the story and you don't have to have some like previous knowledge to appreciate it and i just it's surprising because like comic book video games haven't gone this far It, it feels like a comic book video game rather than a video game about comic characters if that makes sense yeah yeah um, but the combat's terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, too. Yeah, it's not great. It didn't bother me that much. It really didn't. I know Stacy reviewed it, and she likes it. And I have seen people on Twitter talk about that it's interesting. Like is it... a strong word. I think I'm indifferent to it. It doesn't bother me. I don't think it's amazing. Yeah, like, I agree. It's, it's, so it's not my favorite part of the game by any stretch. Like yeah. it feels like it's it's a means to an end in a lot of ways. Yeah, it serves even if some of the, even if some of the set pieces are fantastic, like particularly yeah. in the, particularly the opening, like that's got some amazing moments. Mm. Yeah, George, the the sort of final gauntlet, um, yeah, where you're you're rushing through during during there's like a big war, all these ships are flying in, and you're just mm. fighting room after room after room, and it's like pretty daunting how many combat encounters you have in that sequence yeah i think it works but, uh, you know but it works really well yeah because once you have all the abilities and it's and the enemies that come through have different weaknesses and you can capitalize with different move sets it feels great but yeah. and but before you get to that point it's just so boring these fights yeah. are just like you shoot the ice, and then you wait for the... It's so much waiting for cooldowns. It's just cooldowns, yeah. Just spam the abilities. Yeah. Spam the abilities, do. wait for cooldowns. I found it days. incredibly easy, but in that in the last few chapters, I feel like not only does it work because it gets more interesting just in terms of mechanics, but thematically, how all the characters are getting on and how they're interacting during yeah. the combat sections, that is rewarding. It's not just like... You know, you you care about how they're doing when they're making jokes and cracking wise and stuff. In the early chapters of the game, I was kind of like, okay, this is a bit, this is a bit overboard. They're saying like a lot of stuff all the time, but as you get to know them and like really start to like them, I was like, no, yeah, keep talking. Like this is this is great. How did you all feel about the the way the characters were were represented? I prefer them to the films. Yes, I same. Think. Yeah, I think I do it, too. It took me a while to, I think I, I think they grew on me. I think maybe at first I was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure, and then they grew on me as I played. Like it wasn't yeah. an immediate. This is better. They they're immediately better. Yeah, yeah. It's... Well, like we've joked about, like Erica said about uh, whiny Star Lord, and like I said about Dickhead Rocket. Like they're not perfect, um, mm. and not even to a point of like, oh guys, come on, they're not supposed to be perfect. Like no, I think in certain chapters they're not handled perfectly as like as characters they should be but like we keep saying it all comes together and by the end of it uh like i was i i missed them you know i was sad it was over just play again yeah. george you'll be fine 
I think that it's uh, obviously it's derivative of the movies because that's the only, uh, you know, besides like the, the cartoon, which is sort of based on the movies. Mm. That's sort of, that's our only like live performance of these characters we've ever gotten. So like rocket sounds like, rocket from the movie like they all are just sort of the same characters and they have some different motivations like they've made some changes thanos is already dead drax killed him um there's some stuff that you find out about gamora that's different from the movies Mm. uh later on but mostly they're they're kind of the movie versions right it's just it feels like they're i don't know because you have more time with them like they feel more fleshed out they're not chris pratt (laughs) Yeah, you don't have to look at Chris Pratt. Oh, let's not even get started on Chris Pratt. (laughs) I think there's more room for them to grow as individual characters because both of the movies is very much the Chris Pratt show. Like, the all of them, a lot of the major arcs revolve around him, especially the second one. And a lot of the additional members are very much just members of the crew. They have their moments, but I feel like Guardians, from what I've played thus far, each character seems to have their own individual arc that matters and you can yeah. choose to delve into that as far as you want by talking to them on the ship or interacting with different pieces of media and lore in the well, game's world i feel well, like I found... that's why they're stronger yeah no I, I i completely agree um and i think what i found really interesting that does separate them from like movie versions is that each of them has a lot of different elements that aren't part of the films at all like gamora makes like puns whenever she kills people um and you eventually like you, you can find out why she does that as part of like dialogue and drax isn't just taking everything literally like he does take some things literally because you know that's a character trait but it's not all his characters about like laughing at everything um like he has pride he actually like cares about stuff um, and I feel like maybe playing this has made me like retroactively dislike the films a bit more and like think that they're too simplistic, which is probably, you know, not a great way of looking at it, but I just feel like they're more in depth here. Um the only I one who I'd say is sort of misrepresent. I I feel like Groot's hard to do, but he doesn't really feel like he has anything to do here at all, in my opinion. Like I know that's difficult, hmm. but it is. It's really difficult. Mm. Um there there's some there's a couple of moments with Groot I really like. I one thing I like is that he is uh like the navigator on the ship. Mm. That's not really like an angle you get in the movies. And so he and Star-Lord have a little bit of a like dynamic because of that. They there's some like solo moments between them that I think are interesting. I also really like the part about um if you find the broken communicator, yeah. You can you can take it to Groot and get some like History I really, of, uh, really love that about the collectibles, stuff. like all of them. Those little conversations you got with the crew, they were really cool. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I have to be pedantic about the the communicator thing for a second. I know <laughs> nobody else cares about some shit like this. But... Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> okay, okay, they all have translator chips in their bodies yeah. so that they can understand each other, right? Yeah. So it doesn't really. There's a scene. I wish I could remember exactly what happens, but there's a scene where um, it's all about wordplay, and like Gamora is like rhyming something, and then Drax like doesn't get the joke that she's making about two words that sound the same. But 
that doesn't make any sense. She would be talking in a different language. <laughs> it that only makes sense in English, and they're not speaking English. Uh, this is what I sounded like to you when I was talking about like realism in the fighting games. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I can't. You, I always remember that they're not speaking English. It's just that Star Lord something can hear it. That, in like, yeah, I don't think about it until they're talking about it, and he's saying like, "Oh yeah," because I have this like translator chip, and then I'm like, "Oh yeah, I f- forgot that's like a thing." Yeah, you but just, they always you, you take it at face value, don't you? Generally. <laughs> yeah, and they use like idioms from English language and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. But they Whatever, do that. That's... They do that in the film as well, like that whole. But then, like when he's like, "Oh, you know, the thing it's gone over your head," and Drax is like, "Oh no, nothing gets up past me. I would grab it." And, but it, they're not doing that because he doesn't understand because it's not a phrase he's familiar with. It's because he takes everything literally. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just... I think that the the story is better than both the movies. Yeah. Um, I would agree, yeah. yeah. And part, partly because they have so much time to, to space it out and tell a good story. But, like... Honestly, most games don't have good stories. Like, it's kind of rare that it, a story in a video game is what's, like, memorable about it. And I think this is one of those games. Like, that's really the best thing about this game is the plot. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Like, not I even know just... where it's going. And I think that's exciting. Because yeah. normally I'd see where, this, where the story is going. Like, I've got a rough idea, but... Where the second half of this game is going to go in terms of narrative, I'm like a bit clueless. Maybe I'm just dumb, dumb, dumb as shit. <laughs> no, no, you are. You know, you're right. You are right. I agree with you, Jade. I'm the same. Like you've got an inkling. Obviously, you get that inkling from like what is it? Um, chapter two, when you obviously meet that priest guy, and you're kind of like, mm, and then obviously in chapter five, you're like, oh well, something's going down. But um, yeah, so you get like a hint. But yeah, overall, I'm like, I still don't know. There I think... are just so many players. Mm. I, I I think that's like what keeps it fresh is like you've got the Church of Truth, and if you like know about the Church of Truth, you kind of know where things are going, because then you're dealing with the the Grand Unifier, the Matriarch Magus, and then you've got like the small villains like Blood Brother and. Uh, Lady Hellbender, and then all of that comes together. Yeah, like it, I, like it goes in so many directions, and then it all comes together really well. I think there's one bit, and I, I, Eric, I hope Eric knows what I mean, but it is late game. I think it's chapter thirteen or fourteen where they turn around and they go to solve a problem. They have to go do like one specific thing, and that was the point. I was like, oh my god, like they're just they're able to do whatever they like. Like this, that, that's such a like a do you do you know what I mean, Eric? Like it's hard to oh, say. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, when they said it, I was like, oh my god, what? And I know I sound like a dick trying to, <laughs> like, trying to, like, avoid saying it, but it's more to the point that they can do so much, and they actually do, like, a lot of it. Like, Marvel is pretty wide open. There's so many avenues they could go down, and I think for one game, they did a lot of it. Yeah, and it goes places that the movies don't, that people have always wanted, too. Yeah. So it's, like, it's satisfying from that angle, too. It's, like... Mm. Yeah, so there, there's like places the MCU has never gone that this game does. Um, also, I'm I was excited that they got to do uh, Adam Warlock because 
we know that he's going to be in the next movie. Well, at least he's he shows up at the end of Guardians 2. Yeah, he's been cast. And he's been yeah. cast. Yeah. But I'm so excited that this game got to do it first because it's because we never get to see like the video game version of stuff before the movies. Yeah. You know, so they got to they really got to do their own version of uh, Adam Warlock. And I thought it was great. I think it's probably the best character in the game. <laughs> no, you don't think so? It's uh, Rocket, mate. It's Rocket. Besides yes. Cosmo, I, no, Cosmo, I is yeah, Cosmo, Cosmo is pretty Cosmo's great. Very good. Yeah, I, I really do think Star Lord stole the show. There is some specific moments, like toward again, I hate, I hate being this guy. Like, ooh, towards the end, you don't know what I mean. <laughs> but like, there are some moments in the late game that, like, like Eric said, I was, I was clapping, I was shitting, I was farting, I was, you know, the <laughs> level one. <laughs> yeah. Young I don't think there were any. Oh. Well, yeah, his mullet. I don't think there were any characters like I like overly disliked. Like obviously, even like the the villains and stuff. They they were done really well. Like I remember playing it and, and just thinking like, oh, this voice acting's like good. Like it was just it was done well. That mm. <laughs> normally you get like a few side characters that are a bit off, and you're like, oh, they phoned that in. But uh, oh, like even the smallest characters, like it was just it was overall like. Oh, it, Mantis it is fantastic. Depth. Yeah added complete depth to all even the smallest role was really good mm. yeah okay this is what i think i'm gonna do george we're gonna yep. do we're gonna do a spoiler segment and i'm gonna put Ooh. it at the end of the show after the interview so right now uh we're gonna take a break and i'm gonna come back for an interview with guardians of the galaxy's cinematic director daryl purdy so stick around and listen to that because at the end of that interview, he gives some pretty big spoilers for the game. <laughs> and then and then George and I will come back and we'll do our quick little spoiler talk. Cool. Welcome back here with our special guest for today, Daryl Purdy, cinematics director from Guardians of the Galaxy. Hello, Daryl. Hello. Uh, Daryl, can you tell me a little bit about your background in animation and how you became the cinematics director on Guardians? Uh, yeah, I basically I've been in the industry over 20 years now. I started out as a character animator in Saturday morning cartoon. Um, basically, we worked on kind of like uh, some stuff for CBC television. And then I also did some VFX work in television for a sci-fi show. And then I moved to video games. It's probably been probably 16 years I've been in video games, but with little stops in film. So I did a a couple stints as a VFX animator. Um, But most of my career has been in video games and I've had kind of multiple roles. Um, I was a cinematic animator for Halo 3. I was the cinematic director and animation director on Far Cry 3. I was... uh, a performance director, cinematic performance director, which meant I ran the the performance capture shoots for the cinematics for um, Tomb Raider. And then most recently, I was the cinematic director and animation director for Guardians of the Galaxy. Did you always want to work in games? Actually, no. It's funny because when I started out, I mean, I was one of those, the products of like kind of the very early stages of 3d animation as a thing like you know i've told this story probably a thousand times and people are sick of it but i remember when i was 
either just coming out of school, like high school, or I was maybe in my last year, Jurassic Park came out. I can't remember so many years ago now that, <laughs> but um, it came out and I remember being in the theater thinking like, wow, uh, what did I just see and how am I able to do that? So I went away for a couple of years. I, I, I went to college for a year to for something that I didn't want to do just because that was the path that I had planned. And then one day my sister phoned me and said, hey, I have a friend who started a 3D animation program and you know, would you be interested in that? I was like, yeah. So I started out in 3D animation and I thought my goal would be to be in a VFX studio doing something like Jurassic Park. Um, and then just kind of life, the way it happens, um, I got a chance to move to Montreal from the East Coast of Canada and it was for a video game company. And I thought, oh, I really like video games, so I'll try it out. And it, it's weird because I still, even when I started video games, I thought I'm going to work towards getting into a VFX role. Mm. And then one day I did, I got into a VFX company and I've, I've been at a couple over my career, but games always kind of stuck with me. Just, I, I don't know, it's, it's still a fairly, I won't, it, it's not new, but in a way production wise compared to movies and film, it is still kind of a new medium. And I just really liked kind of like the collaboration, the, in a way, sometimes the chaos, because there's so many things happening at once. It just kind of stuck with me. And I, even when I would go to film, I would find myself missing game development. So mm. I always return to game development. It's kind of like a core part of me. So, so how does working on game cinematics compare to TV and film animation? Uh, workflows are very similar. Like if, if we're talking about cinematics in, in video games, especially now, now that the, the, the consoles can produce such high quality content, uh, it's very similar. I would say the biggest X factor with video game cinematics is you have, we deal now with the real time engine. Mm. So, you know, back in the day, cinematics used to be pre-rendered like real movies, like animated movies. And then they were played, a video file was played within the game, right? So the game would stop, it would play the video file for the cinematic, and then the game would return to running. But now we run in real time. So we have to deal with, you know, we have to deal with texture budgets and we have to deal with loading and streaming and, and you know, environments that, you know, those environments might be multi-purpose environments. You might have a cinematic there but then after that, you might have a combat beat. So the your set, which in a film is made only to tell that story moment, mm -hmm. actually in games, it might be multi-purpose. So it has to tell that story moment and address the issues that the story needs, but it also might need to be set up in a way that combat flows nicely or locomotion flows nicely. So that's the biggest, I think, difference is the real time factor. And so... Are are there like specific challenges that that creates using like those multi-purpose environments for your scenes? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like this is part of the, and I'll say chaos, but I don't want to say it in a negative way. This is mm -hmm. part of the game development thing that not only like uh, from a cinematic department, like we are kind of like a little movie production company nested within a much larger game development, right? So we are game devs because we're dealing with all the same things that game devs deal with. But also we're kind of like creating a 3D animated feature within this video game. So 
you know, you have to be really in sync with the level design directors and the game designers. And, you know, because ideally, if you're doing your job right, what you want is when the player is playing and they're moving through the environment and they get into a combat or they do whatever, that that seamlessly flows into the cinematic and then it seamlessly flows out. And that takes a lot of organization and planning just to make sure that those scenes, you know, uh, fit within the overall structure of the game. And not only from a technical standpoint, but from a pacing standpoint and all that stuff. So yeah, there's those are unique problems, I think, to video game development. Was there anything about Guardians that was brand new for you? Uh, every project I find presents kind of unique challenges. Sure. For Guardians, I think the biggest new thing was the complexity of the narrative. And when I say that, um, not only complexity is in, we had a lot of, of narrative. Like if you've seen the game, the Guardians talk all the time and, and banter and conversation and story is the heart of this game, right? This, this kind of ragtag group of people, we're trying to show them as not quite yet an oiled unit first. And then through the story, their arcs bring them together and they become kind of a family. So the complexity of an ensemble cast was, I think, the biggest, the biggest kind of new thing. I have sh I've shot like ensemble scenes in other mm -hmm. games, right? Where you have maybe one sequence that has a bunch of people, but this game in 95% of the scenes had at least the five guardians plus a supporting character. So not only to organize that on the post or the, 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 the digital side of it with your characters, but shooting was, right. uh, was uh, another thing. Like our, we had to be very meticulous about our planning for the shoots with that many people. And also trying to balance that everybody got enough screen time. So you felt like they were all part of the story, even though you're only playing Peter and it's, and it's through the lens of, of Star-Lord and, and Peter Quill's eyes, per, like kind of, um, you still have to give every character their moment to shine so they feel like they're still part of this group because in the end it is Guardians of the Galaxy. It's, it's not, you know, Star-Lord. And, so. and you directed all the motion capture then too. Yes, I directed uh, all the performance. We use full performance capture where we have a face camera mm -hmm. on the helmet. So we record facial and like facial data, voice and body. So it's all in one. So it get, captures all the nuance of the actor's performance. It's an interesting process to me because in, in film, when you're shooting, you don't always know if a scene is working necessarily until you know you get into post and you start cutting things together but i can only imagine that for a, a game it must be even harder to visualize what the scene's going to look like when you're when you're doing performance capture because it's so divorced from what it's going to look like in the end is, is there a moment in the process where you know a scene is working where you it sort of clicks and you know it's all coming together i guess i'm i'm a character focused director i mean it's that's not to say that you know uh, visual storytelling and cinematography is not really important to me but when i'm playing a game or watching a movie i usually get hooked by the characters so for me the moment i i guess i kind of go on gut instinct it's usually the shoot that i i have a feeling 
or a, a gut instinct whether a scene is kind of working or not. Ideally, you're 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 already answering some questions because in the process, you know, we get a script and we we break it down similar to a 3D animated feature in 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 the visual development. So we storyboard it out. We kind of like map out our cinematography. So you know what 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 camera angles, what shots are we going to use to tell this story? Um, and so we answer some questions there. So you kind of already know, like when you put that, we put our storyboards in Atomatics sometimes and with with temp voices, and you'll put that into the game. And then you'll play the game with just those kind of rough scenes. And you do get an idea if something's working or not. Like as a player or as a viewer, am I getting all the the, the pertinent information and all the story information that I need to know what to do next? You can answer those questions then, and you have an idea. That's your first real pass of saying, like, is it working or is it not? Mm -hmm. um, but then for me, once that's done, there's still a huge question of, you know, will people relate to this? Is the emotional, you have no idea of the emotional core, and that's what I'm, I'm really invested in, of the emotional arcs of these characters and the emotional soul of the story. Is that working? And for me, the shoot is where I... I I think we try to figure that out. And usually you'll get an idea in a, in a shoot if a scene is working. And if it's not, I try to address it there. And I, I, you know, we try to work with the actors or the narrative director who is there, who is representing the writing and the intention, the initial intention of the, of the uh, script. And then we kind of try to work it out there. So by the time we're done shooting, I think because of years of, of, of just experience in the, the, the form of 3D animation. Mm -hmm. I, I can, I, I've worked with, with my team and the guys on my team that are animators and, and the post process, you know, they're all seasoned people. They're, they're all around 20 years experience of the senior members. So I, and me as an animator, I can be on a shoot floor and I can look at a performance and, you know, if, if something's not quite right or, you know, eye lines and stuff like that, or, or little things, I can immediately either look at my, my lead animator or myself go, okay, I can fix that with animation. I can mm -hmm. do it. So that's, that's just experience, I think. So usually I'm looking for the emotional core. And if it's there, if I feel it, if the actors are moving me and all the story beats are hitting, then you usually know or have a good idea that you think it'll work. Yeah. It, it should work. Yeah. So, so once the scene is shot, is there still opportunity for like experimentation and revision at that point? Or what's like the point of no return where, you know, the scene is locked and this is what it's going to be. I guess it, um, I mean, there's the old adage, I think in, in once we started the digital medium that, you know, nothing's ever finished. It's just abandoned. Sure. Like, cause people, because technology lets us tweak and edit and whatever, you know, even in film now, you know, like if the lighting was not great on the day, if the footage had, you can go back and tweak this and add, you know, fake lighting. So, I mean, you, you can edit and make changes along the way, but we do try to, for production reasons, yes, hit, hit a point in overturn where we say, okay, guys, this is it. But they're, they're kind of staggered. Mm. Um, in, in a way, I think the most experimentation, we try to put our experimentation in kind of, for me, in two areas. One is when you're breaking 
the first visuals of the of the script. As in, you get a script and you start to storyboard it. And that's where you start to experiment of like, okay, well, I have these the, the script, it's strong on the page and it has a certain amount of like direction and blocking. But then once you start to put images to it, to those words, you then start to experiment like, oh, would it be better with this camera angle? How does that make me feel? What about if we shot from here? What about a low angle here, a high? And you're experimenting there with your cinematographer and your, and your storyboard artist to try to say what evokes the right emotion. So I think there is really where you want to experiment the most because it's the fastest iteration time. If you have a good storyboard artist, it takes way less time for them to draw out or thumbnail, even not even great images, just thumbnail out a bunch of ideas. Let's put them in a sequence. Let's put some like fake or uh, like temp dialogue, maybe a temp score. Like a lot of times that's what I'll do is I'll even put fake music on it just to, does this evoke the right music or feeling? And this will all then influence later on in the post-process when I'm talking with the audio director of like, oh, and the intent or the, or the creative director, I can put it in front of him or her and say, this is kind of the intention of the scene. Like, what do you think? So you, you experiment quite a bit in that initial storyboard and animatic phase. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, I also like to leave a bit of experimentation for the shoot, because one of the things I believe in my core is that Everybody should go into whatever film storytelling, I guess, like cinematic storytelling with an idea of collaboration. And when I say that, it's the idea that you know going into it that you have an intention. If you've done your job and you've planned and you have a clear idea of what you think is important or what you want, be ready to also throw some of that out of the window because if you allow other people that same creative intention that they might bring something to the table that you couldn't conceive because you're not them so the reason why i'm saying that is like when you get there with actors for me my job as a director on a shoot um is of course make sure we hit all this the the story beats that need to be there in the structure for people to understand the story but then also make sure that the actors feel like they're in a safe place where they can really dive into these characters and take risks and take chances. And they're not going to be chastised for that or not going to be. Now, it's within reason, right? You can't just let people go off and do their own thing if it's, if it's hurting your story. But hopefully, if it all works out once, you know, and you have... You have ups and downs because sometimes, you know, it takes a scene or two or maybe a shoot or two for people to feel comfortable in their role. But ideally, if you give them space to kind of put their own stamp on it, I've never seen it fail in the back end where then once you get rolling into production, they start to really feel like this character is them and they're making better and better decisions when they take a chance. And that's when you really find magic, like true magic, like where you're you're watching a performance in the in, in come to life and it's far greater than anything you you envisioned in your mind and it, it's those happy accidents that i like to let hopefully naturally happen on a shoot um, so those are the two areas where i feel uh, experimentation is is worthwhile do you have a particular example from guardians where your cast did something that you never expected or didn't envision 
Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what it's interesting because I've been on projects where we actors ad libbed a bit more and we used a fair bit of that ad living and we were kind of like, oh, we like this. Let's okay. So we noted it and we rewrote certain lines. Um, what I have to say is I have to give, give credit to the narrative team um, on Guardian on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy because the script was strong, like yeah. really strong. Um, I remember the first time I was on another project I hadn't started on um, on uh, Guardians and but I was getting scripts kind of early editions of the scripts. And I remember like laughing out loud already. And I was like, wow, if we're already here, then this should be really great. So to their credit, they already had a very strong script. Um, but there were moments where, you know, the actors did kind of like try stuff. Um, one of my favorite, and it's a tiny thing, but it was just, it was a moment where I felt like John, who plays Star-Lord, um, really... It was a, kind of a, a moment where I felt like, oh yeah, he's in it. He, this is his character now. Where we were doing a scene, I forget what it was, and we've we used it a couple times. Where I think they're, and I don't want to say any spoilers, but they're dealing with the villain or whatever, and he does this speech, or whatever, and at the end, he just kind of threw in, uh, you know, my man, like mm -hmm. just as like kind of, and it wasn't in the script, and uh, I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. So we kept it in the scene. And then later on, we worked it into another scene when he's talking with himself. I mean, the game is out now and it's online, yeah. but there's a moment where he's having a conversation with himself in a post credit scene. And at the end of it, he threw, I said, look, throw in the my man, like this mm -hmm. is perfect. And so it ended up being a little catchphrase that he used in a couple areas that wasn't originally in the script, but was just kind of felt really natural for the character. And it's those little things that I think are kind of like gems. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. There's a few lines in there that he ad-libbed that we kind of kept in that we were like, oh, this is really cool. Or Alex as Rocket. I mean, he was great to, to kind of throw in little stuff as well, so... But we try to use it. As long as it doesn't break the structure of the story, I feel like, hey, now this is their personality really coming through. So we'd be kind of stupid not to use stuff like that. So Right. There's a lot of playable scenes in the game that are really cinematic, too, that aren't like bespoke cutscenes. One that comes to mind is when you're crossing the bridge to meet Lady Hellbender and the camera locks in all these different positions. How did, how did those sequences come about? Was that still your direction? So I had input into that, but really that is purely, well, that's mostly from the creative director, um, mm -hmm. Jeff Dugas, where he was very, uh, I, I give him credit too. Like, again, that's, it's a tough job because, you know, within the overall, whatever, 15, 20 hour Guardians experience, we have about five and a half hours of cinematic, like, like, like story content, but there's so much storytelling happening outside of that. And, and, you know, that's JF keeping that in his brain. Like he had this vision of, you know, I want the players to feel like they're going to have to walk forever across this thing. And we're going to like, we're going to use banter as, you know, this interesting thing. And, you know, it, it's actually for me, it's, it's one of the funniest moments when Drax starts clicking and going like it's 73 click and he starts counting down clicks and you're like yeah. oh my god are we really going to walk across this whole thing with him going 0 0.1 click 0 0.2 yeah. click, and you're like oh my god so that was really jeff to god i mean 
the credit is is his for that. And then on on top of that, a lot of the scenes play out differently depending on the choices the player makes. So did 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 those branching paths ever make you feel like you were directing two games at the same time? Like was that a unique challenge? It it's definitely a unique challenge. I mean, it's core to Idos Montreal's DNA, mm-hmm. uh, branching narrative and 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 kind of um, player choice in their in what would be considered a, a cinematic. It didn't feel like we were telling multiple games. It felt like we were basically telling multiple versions of the same story, and I found it really I find it really interesting because. A lot of times when, let's say we have a traditional cinematic, a lot of times when we start to break it down and we start to kind of like put it up on its feet with images, we kind of do that naturally anyways. We, we kind of go like, well, what would happen if we tried this? Oh, that creates a completely different feel to if we shot it this way or if we did this. And I felt like Guardians was kind of that. It was, it was like alternate realities of the same story as in yeah. if... And it's like life, you know, how many times have you made a decision where you thought, oh, if I had done that one thing, maybe different, what would the branch of that be like? Um, So it was still the same story, but it was exploring the what if nature of it. It's like, well, what if they did it this way? Well, they're still the same characters, but they're just going on another path. So it always felt cohesive, but but like almost like a a weird multiverse of a story in a way, like... Mm. Um, for Watchmen, Zack Snyder sort of famously used the book as a storyboard. And I know that this game is not specifically based on a, on a certain book, but I'm wondering if there was any particular inspiration from the comics that you were able to draw for the cinematics. For the cinematics, I mean, we were, I don't think I would put it particularly for cinematics specifically, mm-hmm. but for the game in general, um, there was a lot of exploration into everything that is Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, like the team went back through the the back catalog of all the Guardians comics. Of course, reviewed again the MCU version of it, but also looked at the Telltale and looked at every other thing where kind of Guardians was was part of it, and drew from all of them. That's what I find really what I found really great about this because I grew up as a comic book uh, fan as a kid and specifically kind of a Marvel fan. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, nothing against DC and that, but I was always drawn to you know Marvel's characters. Like Spider Man, of course, was my you know big inspiration when I was a kid. Um, so what I really liked is when when Marvel partnered with Square and Idos Montreal on this. What was great about them is they said, look, we want you to create your own unique take on these characters. It's not a tie-in for anything else. Um, And so in doing so, we kind of dug into everything. So from cinematics specifically, we weren't necessarily trying to like emulate anything from the comics or, or stuff like that. But definitely when we were introducing new characters like Lady Hellbender and, you know, Adam Warlock had never been seen yet we did kind of go back to the comics and and kind of look like, you know, of course the way they drew Lady Hellbender with her stature and how big she was, you know, this influenced the shot selection we might do in a cinematic. And, you know, I know on my animation direction side, 
because I was I was doing the gameplay animation direction at some point too. When we were looking at combat and and Peter Quill shooting and stuff like that, definitely I went back to the comics and I and I kind of leafed through as many as I could and I found kind of iconic poses that he had had in both the comics and the MCU. And I said, we should try to build this into our shooting. So if you notice, not that many people stand still in shooting because it's pretty fast paced, but if you do, Star-Lord doesn't just stand there and shoot. He goes through a series of kind of gunslinger poses that are all influenced from mostly the comics. Mm. Um, so we did use it throughout the game, an influence of, of kind of everything Guardians so 75. Cool. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, the humor in the game, I, I guess compared to like film and television, it's usually really hard for games to nail humor. But Guardians, with the the chemistry between the characters and the the timing and the delivery, it it really like captures the essence of these characters, and it it really is a funny game. I I'm just curious, like if you went into it. Um, knowing that that was going to be a challenge for a game and like, how, how is it that you were able to pull that off? Um, well, actually, it's interesting because before you asked if there was anything unique to Guardians and this is an obvious one and I didn't mention yeah. it. Humor was something that was, for me as a director and in my career in directing cinematics and video games, it was actually something quite new mm. um, because... I had been just on many games that were on much darker and somber like tones. Yeah. I mean, one could argue that Far Cry had a weird dark black sense of humor, but it sure. was not it was not humor that uh, that we were doing in Guardians. So that was a unique challenge. Um again, I give credit to the narrative team that already the script was funny when you read it. You were like, "Oh, okay." Um, but a big part in order to translate that humor from the, the page to the screen was we knew very early that both because of the amount of content and the amount of dialogue that we were going to have in this game, because we wanted the Guardians to be chatty, right? Yeah. We were going to cast locally or at least close to where we were so that because we knew our shoot schedule was going to be very dense. Okay, so we we made sure to cast actors that we knew were going to be in close proximity kind of to each other and to our studio. So we, we kind of limited our cast or we tried to first get our casting out of Montreal and Toronto so that we could get the actors in the studio very easily because we knew it was critical to make this thing work. Our cast had to have chemistry and not only chemistry on screen, but I wanted chemistry off screen during the shoot, mm. and not only the cast, but the crew as well. So we worked really hard with with everybody to try to keep, be professional and efficient when shooting, but let's have fun. So, you know, I mean, my, my cinematic producer, Carolina, would probably roll her eyes at me because I'm also not sometimes a very serious person when I'm doing it. Like my way of dealing with pressure or something is to crack a joke or to lighten the mood. Um, so we knew with our cast, we needed the same thing. And what was wonderful is, you know, three of our actors were from Toronto were based in Toronto and they would carpool. They would drive the six hours instead of like flying or whatever, they would drive the six hours in a car 
and they were put up in the same hotel or whatever. So it really became, and I mean, it sounds maybe a bit cheesy, but we became a little family because we were spending so much time together and, you know, everybody just kind of clicked and that chemistry off screen, you know, translated into this wonderful chemistry on screen. And the other thing is we, we knew for me, one of the benefits to performance capture is it's like, it's like in a way shooting in film, right? It's not a person in an audio booth giving their lines and then somebody else in, in another audio booth giving their lines. And then you stitch those lines together and you, you kind of like create a conversation. Performance capture is, you know, we had the five guardians and a, whatever. We had six, sometimes seven characters all in the room together. They're all acting off of each other. They're seeing the, the, the visual cues, the body language. And that creates a really organic performance. And we, we took that and we translated that also to how we recorded our banter for all of the moments when you're running through the game and it's not a cinematic. We had our guardians in the same room mm. with, with an, and we had them with their helmet cameras on instead of the traditional audio mic in front of their face. We had their helmet cameras on recording their facial and they were free to kind of move around, but look at each other and deliver their banter lines. So I found that made the in-game banter that much more organic because you feel you feel the connection, the human connection between them because they're in the same room and reacting to each other. And not only that, but whether you notice it or not, there's a certain physicality in their voices that feels natural as well because they're not constrained kind of to a mic. And that's not to say we didn't do traditional VO recording for other parts of the game, but for a lot of the narrative heavy banter and the cinematics, we made sure to have our guardians all in the same room, like acting off of each other, which I think shows on, on screen, which is great. Yeah, that's really cool. You can totally tell it makes a difference. Uh, my last question is, do you have a favorite scene in the game? That is a tough question. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of favorite scenes. <laughs> it's uh, I probably have one per guardian, honestly. I mean, I don't know if I could pick one. I mean, I'm I'm I'll try to pick one. Just okay. And it's it's more it, it go it, it kind of harkens back to what we were discussing before about knowing if a scene is working or not. Yeah. Okay. And I kind of used this anecdote in another interview at one point, but this might not even be my favorite scene in the game. It's a beautiful scene, but it's it was a beautiful moment in the shoot. Um, and it's a bit of a spoiler, so I apologize for anybody who has not seen or played the game, but um, I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> uh, there's a moment late in our story where Peter has to talk to the ghost of his former lover, Corel. okay? Mm -hmm. They had a relationship, you know, in when the Galactic War was happening, they had like a, a wartime romance. And now he basically has to save Corel's daughter, Nikki, who he believes is his daughter because it was 12 years ago, she's 12 years old. So everything points to Nikki being his daughter. And in that scene, he's pleading for help with her. And uh, it's a very emotional scene. and. When I got the script, uh, there's right in the middle, almost in the middle of the scene, Corel cracks a joke. 
And when I read it, that joke just kind of like jumped off the page. And I was like, whoa, I don't know how I make this work. Mm. Like, how do I make this work? It's such a emotional, heartfelt scene. How does that joke fit? It doesn't feel right to me. So when we were getting ready to shoot it, even the actress, Judith, who plays Carell, was kind of like, I'm not sure how to make this work. And I'm like, look, me either, to be very honest. I know I'm supposed to maybe have the answer as a director, but I don't know yet how to make that work. And so Mary, the narrative director, was there and we talked and I said, look, can we try the scene? Let's start it without that joke. We'll just remove that joke and we'll play the scene out. And we did it. We did a couple takes and it was it was good. I mean, they were really it was heart heartbreaking, the scene, because, you know, Carell has to tell him I'm dead. You need to let me go. And not only that, you need to be responsible for I'm trusting my daughter in your care. And not only do you need to let me go, you need to tell her how to let me go and, and guide her through that. And I mean, it's a huge weight put, being put on Peter, who up until this point has been struggling with responsibility and being a leader and all that stuff. And here he is, you know, entrusted with this young, young woman's life. So it was a heavy scene and, and their first couple takes were really good. And I was like, wow, okay, this is, we're getting to the heart of it here. And so I went to talk with Mary and to her credit, Mary was like, I think the joke's going to work. I think it's going to work. And I was like, mm, is it okay? And I said, okay, well, we're going to try it with the, to, with, with the joke. And I didn't even know how we were going to make it work, but I went over and I talked with Judith and I said, look, we're going to, let's try that. Let's try the line. Let's try to put that joke in there. And she's like, okay. And I said, just don't play it as a joke. Just play it lovingly. Like it's your last, I love you. Right. And she's like, oh, okay. So something I said there, like playing it lovingly or whatever, it responded to her and she was like, okay. And she was like, I got this. I, I know, I think I know what, what, what you're going for. And so we, we roll cameras and we started the scene and we got to that moment. And if you don't know, the joke is kind of, she tells him that Nikki is not your daughter. She's not even my daughter. She was an orphan from the war that the Cree council were going to kill. And I couldn't let that happen. So I claimed her as my daughter and, um, but she's, she's not your daughter. And so Peter is kind of like rocked because he has just accepted the idea that he has a daughter and then only for the carpet to be pulled out from under him. And he's like, and so he responds and he's like, so I'm not a dad. And Carell says, well, she goes, no, but she says, well, you're not her dad. As in yeah. that he could have 20 kids across the galaxy. Right. And the way Judith delivered it in the moment was so, so heartfelt and tender that I remember it was like, you could just feel a flood of emotion. Everybody in the room was like, oh my God. And in that moment, it's what I said earlier. In that moment, you knew, holy crap, that scene is working. It's not only working, it's it's like taken flight. It's gone to another level. And I went over to Mary and I was like, you're right. That was gold. Like that, it was amazing. So that's, it might not be my favorite scene in the game, but it's one of my favorite moments while shooting the, the, yeah. the story of, of Guardians of the Galaxy. I think I think that might be my favorite scene though. I got chills just hearing you describe it again. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's it's I mean there's there's so many great scenes like like what I loved about and I'm I'll take one last second just to yeah. do a PR thing but 
what I absolutely loved about this game is not only is the humor on point and the tone is beautiful, but I really found that it balanced the laugh out loud humor with the really genuine heartwarming moments where these people are trying to deal with, with real things and they find peace or, or at least a little bit of healing in this family. And I, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful job. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's a, it's an outstanding game and uh, a really moving story. Uh, Thanks, Daryl. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Oh, thank you. I'll be right back with George Foster and a spoiler-filled wrap-up for Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, we're back for Guardian spoiler talk. Me and George. Let's go. Let's do this. Okay, man, it's so hard to talk about this game without the spoilers because that these moments are my favorite part of the game. Yeah, me too. Okay, so first of all, Finn fucking Fang Foom. Oh my god, that was a yeah, that was the bit where I went, holy crap, they can do yeah. whatever they want. Like, what is that? Like, that's such a big thing. When, when uh, that the moment when Star Lord decides that's the plan and Drax starts cheering, I started cheering. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I literally <laughs> went, was what the fuck. Because, like, we were talking about with, like, Spider-Man, like, they name drop Fin Fang Foom, and you're like, oh, yeah, good one. And you ne- <laughs> you don't think they're actually going to do it. Yep. You know? Uh, it was it was um, more like, it, that chapter in general is probably my favorite in the game, I think, looking back, because they're, they're yeah. finally clicking. They're all, like, they're all in, like, you know, now it's do or die, and they're at the point now where it's their last hope. So if they die, they're, they've made some piece of it, you can kind of tell. Uh, so it's like, you know, it's like the embodiment of the game's catchphrase, you've got this, probably. Like, that moment is like that, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. If you haven't played the game, the, basically the setup uh, at the beginning is that they're going to capture a monster and sell it to Lady Hellbender, who's like mm-hmm. a, a monster collector. And things don't go as planned, and Drax starts talking about... Um, capturing thing thing foom who's like this legendary dragon super powerful character in the marvel universe and they all blow him off because that's absurd that they would just go like capture basically this god and give it to lady hellbender Mm. well things really fall apart throughout the game and when they run out of options they do it yeah (laughs) they just decide they're gonna go get this dragon Uh, i forgot that they even mentioned it beforehand like uh, at least by the time they mentioned it again, I forgot that it had been mentioned. But now, now you say it, like I think I can kind of remember him like saying it at the start. But even then, just to have such a made like Fin Fang Foom could be its whole like as the villain could be the whole like a whole game by itself, you know. Sure, and the fact yeah. it's just a chapter here; it's just a part of the adventure. Like, ah, oh, what a game! Yeah, really cool moment. And then. The other thing which uh, which Daryl just talked about, but the ba- basically the climax uh, with in Nikki's dream world in her her promise, yeah, where um, you know where Star Lord finally understands that her, her mom is actually dead, and he has to be the one to pull to you know make her give up the promise and, and make her understand that her mom's not coming back 
Mm. That whole sequence is just heart wrenching. It's one of the best scenes in a game this year, I would say. It's it, so powerful. It's so human. Because it's so well acted. Yeah. As he's trying to come to terms with her death, he also has to be the one to get Nikki to, to come to terms with her death. Like, and, he, and you can see it in his face. He doesn't know if he can do it. Yeah. And then, and then when you start that dialogue with Nikki, you have to do it. Yeah. Like it, it gives you the dialogue options and it makes you figure out how to talk to this kid about her dead mom. And it's just like, it's so brutal. It's so well done. Mm. Really well written. I, I love that sequence. It's the candle bit that got me. Like, I think because in the, at a certain point in the game, I think you can find like a sort of like candle thing for Drax and you can say, oh, like, you know, on earth we do this to honor the dead. Like, do you want to do it for like your family? And Drax kind of shrugs it off because it's not, you know, it's not his way of doing it, but then yeah. they bring it right back around for that. And the fact that that's just an optional scene, that's just a collectible you can find, but you probably right. won't find. And it comes back full circle for this just amazingly acted bit. Like I was, I wasn't quite crying, but I was close. I was there like, you know, for a first, for a first shot with these characters, I'm incredibly attached from that whole like scene alone. Yeah. I was, I was really impressed by how the game eventually won me over with the camp and the cringe. Mm. And I, I finally, I was fully on board and I finally realized that it had gotten me when you're doing that victory parade walk. Yes. You're just sort of, yeah. the whole team is sort of like fist pumping and walking towards the camera and there, and all the like people you rescued are just like, standing off to the side like it's a parade and they're all like cheering and it goes on forever and you keep yeah. stopping to like talk to characters from throughout the game just this like victory and it's so campy it's so cheesy and i and you know at that point i was like fully on board with it you know i looking back like i really didn't think that was real like the whole victory parade thing i thought that was like their promise like i thought you know obviously eventually uh, Magus does take over Adam Warlock anyway, but I thought like that had already happened and that he had sucked them into a promise where they're proper heroes. And then now looking back, he's like, no, that bit actually happened. They did do the walk. That's parade. just how cheesy it is. Yeah. yeah it works so but, well. Yeah. So you just mentioned it, but the fake out ending is the best fake out ending ever. Yeah. I had no idea. Did you think that that was happening? When I was looking at the credits and I could see magus popping up a few times and i was like are they just sequel baiting and then uh, it keeps happening i was like okay no they're really not like it's just not over yet um what did you think about like the length of it did you think it like went on like maybe a little bit too long the game in general the whole game uh yeah. i well i played it in chunks over like a week uh yeah. because i wasn't like reviewing or covering like usually i sit down and i play games beginning to end so I had a good pace with it. And I honestly, I don't know which parts you would cut out. Uh, uh, it's chapter seven's long. You, there is a lot of like revisiting. Mm. There's like, I, I thought, you know, you do the whole uh, escape with Nikki and then you go back there and run through that whole place again. Yeah, yeah. That but it makes like, sense, oh, right? I've, like I've already done this. Yeah, narratively yeah. it does. 
but you are playing through the same level again. What did you think of um? There's there's two bits now jumping to my head of like stuff we kind of didn't mention before, but one about Nikki seemingly being Star Lord's kid and then not being. I loved that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. Yeah. And we I, talked we talked about that in a in our interview with Daryl before too. Um, yeah. R- really good reveal, and it's like. It, even when he realizes that she's not his kid, it doesn't really change anything, right? Yeah. Like, he's already accepted that he's going to be her dad mm. and that he's going to wa- take care of her, and he does. Like, he fulfills that role. Like, it doesn't really change anything. Uh, what did you think of Thanos briefly appearing in Drax's mind? That got me. I was like, whoa, okay. I really liked that they that they established like immediately like as soon as the game started that like he was dead and Drax had killed him and that and now Drax has a very specific reputation Mm. I didn't expect to see him I knew that we were going to see like Drax's family and stuff and Drax's mind Um, but it was surprising that that is like something he's still like holding on to I guess yeah, well, they they keep saying throughout the whole game that Drax doesn't believe he's actually killed him, and I was right. really expecting them as like sequel bait after the credits to go, you know, show him get it like Thanos somewhere on a planet, and then that'd be like the big thing for part two. But they don't do that. They have like a really nice right. moment of Star Lord in the mirror, like you know, evaluating stuff. I loved that because it would have been so easy for them to just go, oh, you know, Guardians coming up against God, anyone they can go up against anyone seemingly, but. I'm glad yeah. they didn't go that way. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't too. It gives it gives a little bit more weight to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it certainly is set up for more. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to see. It. Um, yeah, I don't know if how Nikki's gonna work on the team. So, I, I, you you know your comic books like very well. Why is it that she's absorbed the power of the um, Soul Stone? Is that why her hair goes like that? That's yes, how I, I took it. So. Yeah. yeah. So does she still have those powers without the Soul Stone? I have no idea. I guess I'm not I have to fr- explore. I, yeah, I guess I'm not deep enough in the Guardians comics to know if Nikki's even like a real character or one they made up for this. I actually don't know. She, uh, I did look it up as well. She is a character, but I don't know if she's ever been a, like had this big of a role. Yeah. No, she's definitely yeah. been like a side character. Um, I don't think. I think I might have spoiled that she wasn't actually. Star Lord's kid for myself because I was looking it up and I couldn't find that anywhere. And eventually oh, I sort of just went, "Oh, okay, maybe you know, maybe she's not." Um, but I don't think she ever has been. Yeah, yeah. I was. I remember when the credits started rolling, and I like looked over at my partner and I was like, "Yeah, oh, it's a good game." And then the fake credits and the surprise chapter sixteen. I yeah. was like, "Actually, I think this is in my top 10 yeah me too that that actually sold it for me and it's weird like we said i know this specifically spoilers but like none of it i i like the combat but i still wouldn't like say it stands out at all and you know there's nothing really about it that's like oh my god except for the story but the story is so 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 good and done so well it's like it carries the whole thing yeah yeah it's a really great script and it's so rare Unfortunately, it's so rare for games. We've we've had uh, we've been treated to a lot of very strong stories in games this year. Mm. So maybe we're turning a corner. 
But uh, yeah, yeah, this one surprised me a lot. Yeah, me too. There's there's that bit one that I really liked as well, where they get on, where just after they've sort of agreed to help Cosmo, they get on that hand, and they're going through, and there's all those portals. Yeah. Do you remember the bit I mean? Like, and then there's like yeah, yeah. a mention of Spider Man, the Avengers, and stuff. Yeah, and I was like, it suddenly dawned on me. I was like, oh my god, like yeah, this is a Square Enix Marvel verse. Like they could do, they could bring uh, Star Lord over to Marvel's Avengers if they wanted to. If it was a good game, <laughs> if that wasn't a dead game, then maybe they will. But yeah, I yeah, it definitely makes you wonder what could have been. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame, but I am not really mourning Marvel's Avengers because I I don't know, Guardians Galaxy just kind of it reinvigorated me on superhero games again after Marvel's Avengers kind of like took it out for me. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, and like. I, I don't love the open world Spider-Man games that much. No, either. Oh, I like I I, I, I enjoy I them. them. I just don't I don't love open world games anymore. Yeah, specifically Miles Morales is oh I I adore I adore Miles both is of them. Much but, better than the first one. Yeah. Yeah, but my my was like oh, I could go on I could go on for years about like not even just the story but like the movement in that game. We, we won't do it because this is not about that. But <laughs> I I'm pretty positive on them overall. But Marvel's Avengers did take that out for me um so i'm glad to be feeling happy about it again yeah i think this is the kind of like superhero game i want yeah i want strong stories you know more directed experiences so yeah super impressed is it gonna make it in your top 10 yeah i'm not sure how how high up it will go i don't think it will come in within the top five but it's you know it's definitely top 10 definitely yeah it, it was only announced at uh e3 so we we barely even had time to get eye for it and it was a yeah pretty big surprise mm. that's our show for the week i want to thank you so much for listening and invite you to reach out to me on twitter at epic Schweitzer. if you want to leave me a comment about the show we'll be back next week see you then